Revelation chapter number 15, and we're just going to read uh, verses 1 through 8, and then we'll start in the top of our outline here in just a moment. Revelation chapter 15, starting in verse number 1. And I saw another uh, sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them is filled up the wrath of God. And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire, and them that had gotten the victory over the beast, and over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name, stand on the sea of glass, having the harps of God. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints, who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name, for, only, or excuse me, for thou only art holy, for all nations shall come and worship before thee, uh, for thy judgments are made manifest. And after that I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was open, and the seven angels came out of the temple, having the seven plagues, clothed in pure and white linen, and having their beasts girded with golden girdles. And one of the four beasts gave unto the seven angels seven golden vials full of the wrath of God, who liveth forever and ever." And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no man was able to enter into the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled. All right. So that's chapter number 15. And uh, we will uh, get through chapter number 16 tonight. But that'll take us through our very first point. Let's look right at the top of your outline. An acceleration of our study of the book of Revelation began with our last lesson and will continue to Revelation 19 for reasons that we've already talked about in the previous weeks. In our previous lesson, uh, we studied the seven personalities of the Great Tribulation. That was chapter number 12 through chapter number 14. We spent two weeks talking about the seven different personalities of the Great Tribulation. It was a very interesting study as we looked at those uh, uh, chapters. These chapters are a parenthesis between the sounding of the seventh trumpet and the seven vials or bowls of wrath. Now, beginning in chapter number 15, we find the preparation for the final seven judgments that are a part of the trio of seven judgments recorded in this book. If you remember, if we go back, there were seven seals, seven trumpets, and now seven bowls or vials of wrath. So we have already dealt with uh, 14 of these judgments. We've dealt with the seven seals and we've dealt with the seven trumpets. And we dealt with those extensively because a lot of information were given about them. And now we've arrived at the seven bowls or the seven vials of wrath. And things are looking different now. Things are looking different as far as how these judgments are going to be played out. They're, they're looking different. In, they're, they're totally different from the seven seals and totally different from the seven trumpets. This is literally what we're about to and what we have arrived to is this. We've arrived to the end of the earth. That's what the seven vials of the seven bowls of wrath are. It is the extermination almost of earth. Now, these, these bowls or these vials of wrath uh, are, are literally uh, uh, executed in a way that is going to be difficult to, to swallow. They, they are executed in such a way that it's almost as if God drops um, a, a, a huge bomb on the world with the way that these vials are going to be uh, handed out and the way that they're going to be executed. Typically, and we'll talk about this in just a moment, but typically with the seals and the trumpets, if you remember, in both of those scenarios, there was a, a break between the sixth and the seventh, if you remember that. In, in both of those, in the seals and the trumpets, there was a break. And what happened during that break? God released what? Do you remember? He released grace again. Remember that? He, during the seals, we got to the sixth seal, he released grace. We got to the seventh, sixth trumpet. After the sixth trumpet, before the seventh trumpet, he released grace. Now that we have hit the vials or the bowls of wrath, there is no stopping points. It's almost like God, God executes the first judgment and then he just pushes all the way through to the last one. Because of the fact that, if you remember now, the 144,000 have been taken out of the Great Tribulation. So, in other words, basically, grace has been taken. Now, the question remains is, are there still Christians alive on the earth during this portion of the, of the judgments? The answer to that question is yes. Some of those that have survived and have not been killed um, are still alive on the earth. And they are going to experience 
these vials of wrath as well. And so uh, uh, these judgments that are about to be executed. And, and God gives some uh, grace or God gives some, some words of encouragement to these saints. But as we mentioned before, uh, the tribulation is no time that you want to become a, 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 a Christian. Uh, the tribulation is, is the last chance, in other words, and, and it is not a time to, that you want to wait to become a Christian. So, number one in your outline, the preparation. The word there is preparation. The preparation. What's the preparation of? The preparation for the seven vials or bowls of wrath. This is the preparation. Now, with the background of chapter number 14 and verse number 10, where John says... Those who worship the beast shall drink of the wrath of God, which is poured out with mixture in the cup of his indignation. We talked about that last week, chapter 14 and verse number 10. He now says in chapter 15 and verse number 1, And I saw seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them is filled up what? The wrath of God. The wrath of God. So, so now it is the institution of the wrath of God. Let me ask you a question. Do we serve a God of love? Do we serve a God of peace? Yes. Do we serve a God of justice? Yes. Do we serve a God of wrath? Yes. This is who God is. This is the sovereignty of God. You say, Pastor, can you prove all of that throughout biblical history? Absolutely. It wouldn't take us long. Uh, Because if you look at the book of Genesis, you find out that there was a creation that took place. And in order for a creation to take place, there has to be a creator. That's right. There has to be a creator. Why would God create the world? God created the world for mankind. That's right, for his pleasure. That's exactly right. That's why he created the world. God created man. From dust thou art to dust thou shalt return. That's what he says of Adam. And then God formed uh, the woman out of Adam. So God created the woman. They resided in the most perfect place that ever existed on the face of this earth. I believe that when the new heaven and the new earth are going to be instituted, I believe it's going to be as perfect and very similar to the Garden of Eden. Because it is the only time that that perfectness was ever on earth is when the Garden of Eden was here. These two, however, got wrapped up into sin. And because of sin, we had the fall, the fall of man. That's right. So what do we have? We have God's love. What was God's love? He created the earth. That's God's love. Now we have God's justice. They sinned. God told them if they ate of that, the tree, that what would happen to them? They would die. And they did. They died spiritually. God's justice. Now... We fast forward 2,000 years, and what do we end up with? We end up with the peace of God. What is that? That's when he went to the cross. You see, he, was, he died, he buried, and he rose again. And now he lives at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. And what is that intercession? That intercession is peace. What kind of peace? It's the peace of God when I accept Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. And it's the peace with God as I live in a relationship with him. Right? But does death still come? Yeah, that's right. Death does come. Why? Death comes because of the wrath of God. Are you following me? Because we're sinners, because we messed up, our life begins and our life ends. It's the wrath of God. But in my life, grace is given. But there still has to be the result of wrath. So when we look at these seven vials, there are many people, and, I, and this is where I, why I said all that I just said. There are many people who look at this passage in these next two chapters and they say that certainly, why would anybody uh, 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 give themselves over to a God that would do such horrific things to people that were still living on the earth? And this is my response to them. If there's a heaven, there has to be a hell. If there's love, there has to be wrath. It's the way it works. And then I want to remind you that God never intended for anyone to go to hell except for Satan and his demons. That's what hell was made for. Hell was not made for any individual. 
What happens? The individual chooses hell because they reject Jesus Christ. Are you following me? So, so I really want us to see that because we can, we can correlate a lot here. And I've probably spent the next 25 years talking about the correlation of these bold judgments with the things that were happening in the book of Judges. And we look at the book of Judges and we talk about how, how the children of Israel wandered around the wilderness. And we talk about all the judgment that they came up with. We talk about all the bloodshed when we talk about uh, the Philistines. And we talk about all the Steens and all the Ites. You know what I'm talking about, right? The Amorites and, and all those. And we talk about how terrible that was. And how would God and how could God allow all that to happen? The very simple answer is this, is that God is a God of love, God is a God of wrath. God comes to his end, he comes to his end, but he always, always institutes grace prior to his end. And that's what we have to gravitate to, okay? Now, um, he now says uh, in chapter 15 that the seven angels having the seven last plagues for in them is filled up the wrath of God. As with the trumpet judgments, angels are used in the execution of these seven bowls of wrath. The stage is being set for the outpouring of these bowls in chapter number 16. In chapter 15 and verse number 2, John saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire. This is perhaps the sea of glass like, un, like un, I should say unto, sorry, like unto crystal that is before God's throne. Revelation chapter 4 and verse number 6. If we rewind all the way back there, uh, we'll see that, that it is the, the, the crystal, uh, the, glass -like, the sea of glass like unto crystal before God's throne. So some people believe that this is, in fact, what you're seeing here. Standing on the sea of glass, having the harps of God, were the tribulation uh, believers who had refused to worship the Antichrist or receive his mark and the number of his name. Chapter 15 and verse number 2. Look, and I saw as it were a sea of glass mingled with fire, and then that had gotten the victory over the beast, and over, excuse me, and over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name, stand on the sea of glass, <coughs> having the harps of God. This is a very interesting scene to me. Because here we have heaven and we have, we're about to have the bowls of wrath be poured out. And the people that are literally have the prime viewing seat for this is those that endured the tribulation. Why would they have the prime seats for this? We have to rewind again. We have to rewind to remember the saints that were under the throne. What were they doing? Crying out for what? Vengeance. They were crying out for vengeance. That's right. And now, here are the people that had endured the, the, the terribleness of the tribulation. And they were killed during the tribulation. No, I don't even know how they were killed during the tribulation. But apparently, they had endured terrible things during the tribulation. And now, they are standing on the sea of glass right there as these judgments are being executed on the people that had harmed them and the people that had killed them and the people that had tortured them. May I remind you again that grace has ended. Grace has ended. See, now it's just wrath and indignation. Standing on the sea of glass, having the harps of God were the tribulation of believers. Having the harps of God uh, were the tribulation of believers. Now, uh, moving to the next paragraph. Now in heaven... They sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. That's stated in chapter 15 and verse number 3. Which describes praise to God for his works and ways, as well as his holiness, and the fact that all nations shall come and worship before him. It's very interesting that, that these believers, what they're doing is they're singing praises. They're giving praise to God. You say, Pastor, are they giving praise to God because he's about to execute the judgments? No. They are giving praise to God because this very well may be their very first opportunity to give praise to God. Are you with me? Because I remind you that they were killed during the tribulation. They were not with us that were either alive and remain or those that are dead in Christ. When we all rise together, we get our moment of praise with the Savior. We've already talked about that. 
This now may be the very first opportunity that these tribulation believers have to worship God. And I'm going to tell you something. That, that one thing that we really need to understand, and I think if we grab this concept, that our Christian life would be different. In the very presence of God, you can do nothing but praise. Are you with me? In the, let me say it again because I, I think we're a little slow tonight. In the presence of God, there is nothing that we can do but praise. When you live your life in the presence of God, you will find your life full of praise. Because just like in heaven, the Bible tells us over and over again, when we look at the scenes of heaven, what do we see people doing? At the name of Jesus, every knee shall... There's praise. When we talk about when, when, the, when, the, when we're, uh, those that are alive and remain and those that are caught up during the, uh, 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 and the, and the dead in Christ and we enter into the presence of heaven, what do we find ourselves doing? Praising and singing. That's what we find ourselves doing. When we find those first tribulation believers and they're now under the throne of heaven, what were they doing prior to that? Do you remember the rainbow encompassed throne? What were they doing? They were praising God. At the very presence of God, there's always praise. Always. And so I believe with all my heart that heaven, and, and, and if you haven't gotten it here on earth, it might be a time to start practicing. Heaven is going to be a place of praise. It's going to be a place of praise. Because I do not believe that we'll be able to enter into the presence of God without praising him. And so here we have even these tribulation uh, believers that went through anguish and torment praising God. Now, Revelation chapter 5 and verse number 5 gives us the exact location of the scene. The temple of the tabernacle of the testimony of heaven. As, John vision, uh, as John's vision continues in verse 6, seven angels came out of the temple having seven plagues. And one of the four beasts gave unto the seven angels seven golden vials full of the wrath of God who liveth forever and ever. So we know that this scene takes place in the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony of heaven. And we know that the angels have just received those vials. These angels have the solemn responsibility of pouring out vials full of the wrath of God. The word full indicates the immensity of these final judgments. They were full of the wrath of God. In other words, it's a serious judgment that's about to take place. After the angels had received their bowls filled with the wrath of God... The temple in heaven was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no man was able to enter into the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled. Did you catch that? No one could enter in until the wrath of God was completed. The awesome presence of God in the temple prohibits anyone, even the angels, from entering until the, the, excuse me, the vials of wrath are poured out. Upon the earth. It is an unbelievable scene in heaven to think about the very final judgment of God being released to the earth. I believe with all my heart that when chapter 16 and verse number 1 starts... Because no one is allowed to enter into the temple of God, that all praise ceases. Because now wrath has taken over. Wrath is now put into place. There's a verse of scripture that's very important that we all must understand. The Bible says this. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Saith the Lord. We love to put our name there, don't we? Vengeance is mine, saith Lee. Amen. Um, but we can't do that. We have to realize that things that we endure and the things that we go through, that when we get to the end, we have to understand <clears throat> that vengeance is the Lord's. And the things that we face with the enemy, the things that we face with enemies in our lives, we cannot allow it to overtake us and overcome us what we have to do is we have to say, God, vengeance is yours. You are going to take care of that situation and that circumstance. Number two in your outline, and we've got to be hurry. The seven bowls of wrath. 
Wrath is the word you're looking for. Seven bowls of wrath. And we'll, dis- we'll read each one of them as we get to them. We're not going to read them all at once. Um, and and uh, that way you can get a good feel for what's going on. In the previous judgment, the seals and the trumpets, there was a break or an interlude. And we talked about this a few minutes ago. Between the sixth and seventh judgments. But the seven vials or bowls of wrath are poured out without interruption. This seems to indicate they will occur in rapid succession. And that's important for you to understand, that, that this is all happening successively and very rapidly. Um, this is further underlined in chapter 16 and verse number 1, where a great voice tells the seven angels to pour out the vials of wrath of God upon the earth and what appear, at what appears to be the same time. Let's look at chapter 16, verses 1, and also verse number 2. The Bible says, And I heard a great voice out of the temple, because who's in the temple? Remember? Who's in the temple? God's in the temple. Uh, A voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, Go your ways and pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. Did you see what he said? He said to the angels, to what angels? The seven angels. He said, Go your way. He didn't say, Okay, now angel number one, now angel number two, you all line up in a nice line, and we'll pour out one at a time. He said, All of you go your way, And then when you get to your way, what does he say do? Pour it out. In other words, it's going to be rapidly successive, okay? Um, Now, verse number two. And the first went and poured out his vial upon the earth, and there fell a noisome and grievous sore upon the men which had the mark of the beast, and upon them which worshipped the image. So, number one there uh, is the first bowls, uh, chapter 16 and verse number two. When the first angel pours out his bowl of wrath, there fell a noisome and grievous sore upon the men which had the mark of the beast. The phrase noisome and grievous sore literally means ugly and painful or malignant sores. Apparently, these sores are permanent because after the fifth bowl of wrath has been poured out in verse 11, people are still suffering from them. Many philosophers believe that these sores are boils. And the reason that they believe that is they go back to the book of Exodus and they correlate the plagues. There's another correlation of plagues throughout the seven bowls of wrath. Um, And as we progressively go through them, you'll be able to put the puzzle together. But many of them believe that it's going to be boils. Um, I don't know if you understand uh, what boils are. um, But boils are, are sores that pop up all over your body. And uh, they're very painful, and uh, they almost feel like your skin is on fire. Um, I knew someone that had boils. It's very rare in the States to have boils, but I I have come across someone that has had... Anybody else? Anybody know anybody that's ever had boils? Oh, okay, a couple of you. Um, So um, what I know about this person, and I don't know if everybody's different, but what I know about this person is every time I would go see him, he would say to me, I feel like someone is burning me alive. And uh, boils is one of those things that, that is also, it's, it's very contagious. Um, and it's also, uh, uh, it lasts a long time. And so I just want you to imagine for a moment as this first bowl of wrath is poured out, that these sores begin to take over men's body. And they suffer with them. ...for an extensive period of time. The first bowl is an awesome picture of the entire population of the world... ...suffering from an incurable infection. Undoubtedly, the disposition of people will be such... ...that it will be difficult to get along with each other... ...adding to the miserable conditions on the earth, right? Because I don't know anybody who's in pain that's happy. Right? It's just the way it is. So you imagine having a worldwide population of people that are in pain and are very unhappy with one another. And uh, it's not going to be uh, a very content place to be, all right? Chapter 16 and verse number 3. And the second angel poured out his vial upon the sea, and it became as the blood of a dead man, and every living soul died in the sea. We have now had... Uh, the elimination of sea creatures. Um, we have seen some sea creatures already eliminated, 
But now when the second bowl of wrath is poured out, all of the sea creatures are eliminated. Now, let's look at our, our, uh, our thoughts here. One third of the sea life in chapter 8 and verse number 9 had already been killed at the sounding of the second trumpet. But now all the sea life is killed. And I want you to imagine what it must smell like. And the pollution that goes along with that. It's got to be terrible. So, think about this. You've got boils all over your body. And now you're living with a terrible stench. My son goes to uh, Carrollton Junior High School. I had his um, parent-teacher meeting yesterday. We drive up to the school and we get out. And there's this big tree. I don't even know what kind of tree they're called. There's a lot of them blooming. They're pears. Okay. They smell like rotten fish. Okay. I got out of I parked right next to it. And Gideon goes, Dad, don't please don't park next to this tree. I'm like, why not? Dad, please don't park next to this tree. I'm like, what's the big deal? It's just a tree. I got out and I was like, oh my word. You could not get, because there was one right there and there's another one close to the entrance. You could not get away from it. I mean, you couldn't. And I don't understand why that's legal. Um, you know, hang some potpourri from it or something. I mean, it's terrible. But I can only imagine, and that's just one little tree having a smell like that. And, and I, my mind automatically went to our lesson tonight. I just thought, you know, I, can you imagine living with that smell uh, amplified, you know, obviously tenfold um, in, the sea, in the sea creature life, all right? Chapter number 16, verse number 4. And the third angel poured out his vial upon the rivers and fountains of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the waters say, Thou art righteous, O Lord, which art and wast and shalt be, because thou hast judged thus. For they have shed the blood of the saints and prophets, and thou hast given them the blood to drink, for they are worthy. And I heard another out of the altar say, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are thy judgments. So the third bowl. In this judgment, the rivers and fountains of water become blood. So the earth's fresh water becomes polluted. This is the people's judgment for the bloodshed of the saints and the prophets. As throughout all of the tribulational period, we know that the saints and the prophets have been martyred, they have been tortured, and terrible things have been happening to them. And as a result of that... Now, all the fresh water and all the fountains are turned to blood as an analogy of their literally having to drink the blood of the people that they killed. Yeah, I feel the same way. It is a terrible judgment. Even though most had not participated directly in the act of bloodshed, the people on earth had rejoiced when God's two witnesses were slain by the beast in chapter number 11 and verse number 10. Do you remember that? The two witnesses were killed in the middle of the street. And what did they do? Do you remember? They had a party. And they partied for three days, the Bible said. They gave gifts to one another. And they were rejoicing over the death of two saints and the two witnesses. So in other words, not everyone had actually shed the blood, but everyone had participated in some way. This is what they call guilty by association. There have been many severe persecutions of God's people throughout history, but none so universal and unmerciful as that conducted by the beast in the Great Tribulation. Therefore, it is particularly fitting that his, genera that his generation shall be compelled to drink water that is like the blood they so apathetically allowed to be shed. Chapter 16, verse number 8. And the fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun, and power was given unto him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat. Look what it says. And they did what? Blasphemed the name of God, which hath power over these plagues. 
And they repented, what's the next word? Not to give him glory. The fourth bowl. In this judgment, the sun's heat intensifies so as to scorch men with fire. We find here that dramatic changes in the atmosphere and climate will occur during the Great Tribulation. Coupled with the loss of drinking water, this will result in untold suffering and agony. If you work outside um, in the heat of the day, you know how important it is to stay hydrated. You know how important it is to drink water. Can you imagine the only thing that you have to drink is blood? That's where we're at. Do you understand where we're at? It's terrible. It's terrible. But again, how long has the grace of God been extended? Chapter 16, verse number 10. And the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seat of the beast, and his kingdom was full of darkness. You ready for this? And they gnawed their tongues for pain. And what'd they do? They blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores. Here's what the sores we were talking about. And repented not of their deeds. The fifth bowl. This judgment is directed at the seat of the beast. And his kingdom was full of darkness. This is very reminiscent of the fifth trumpet and the ninth plague that we've talked about. Where darkness covered the earth. The fifth bowl of judgment will have grave psychological effects. For people will gnaw their tongues... For pain. Can, it is an amazing thought process when you think about the, psycho, the, 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 the psychological effects that the Great Tribulation will have on people, especially with these seven bowls of wrath. When you're covered with sores, when all of the sea creatures have died, when all of the fresh water has turned to blood, and now the heat of, uh, is intensified to the point of burning people, and now the climate changes again to darkness, and it changes to the fact that, uh, um, let's see, the kingdom was full of darkness, and they were, they were gnawing on their tongues for pain. It's almost as if they don't, even, they don't even know what's happening mentally to them because of the great torture that's taking place. This, the fifth bowl judgment will have grave psychological effects. However, according to verse 10, they blasphemed God because of their pain and repented not of their deeds. The psychological pain and physical pain of the sores will undoubtedly produce suffering beyond the power of words to describe. In chapter number 16, verse number 12, and the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, and the water thereof was dried up, that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirits of devils working miracles, which go forth into the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to battle of that great day of the Almighty. What was the battle? Armageddon, verse 15. If you've got a red letter Bible, you'll know that this is Jesus speaking. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And he gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue, Armageddon. The sixth bowl. The Euphrates River is the water boundary between the Holy Land and Asia to the east. The kings of the east have been identified in scores of ways by various commentators. Though no one knows their precise identity, it is clear that they are rulers from the east. So 
he gathers all of the rulers together. That's where we're going with this. Also, it is obvious um, the drying up of the Euphrates is not necessary for modern armies to invade the Holy Land. Uh, other than for symbolic purposes, which I don't really understand, they're, they're mysterious to me, the mentioning of the drying up of the Euphrates, as far as I can tell, is not significant. But that doesn't mean it's not significant, okay? Um, just as you do, um, if you look at how armies are moved today, um, the drying up of the Euphrates River would not have to take place for armies to be able to advance from the east. And so I'm not sure what the significance of that is, other than my only thought process is this, is that when John was seeing this vision, he was seeing the armies and they were so great that he could no longer see the Euphrates River um, because of how large the armies are. You were going to learn in just a few moments about the fact that, a, that the kings um, from the east all rise up together in thinking that they're going to battle the Lord in the battle of Armageddon. And this is all of the enemies doing. He will persuade them to come down from the east to fight in the battle of Armageddon. It will look like that they all went of their own premonition, but the truth of the matter is that they were persuaded um, by the enemy. And, and, and we're not there to Armageddon yet. That is just um, a, a small highlight. In verse 13, John saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. The purpose of these evil spirits sent out by the unholy trinity is outlined in verse number 14. What were they doing? They were working miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of the great day of the God Almighty. What was the enemy doing? He was trying to entice the kings to come to the battle of Armageddon to fight for him. So he was performing miracles. I don't know exactly what that means. I don't know what kind of miracles that he was performing. But whatever he was doing, it was drawing people. Um, if you've ever seen um, a, a street magician, street magicians are very good at this. They walk up, they set up a table, and they sit down. They never invite anyone over to them. But what do they do? The first person stops by and says, hey, what are you doing? And he says, hey, let me show you a trick. And he pulls out some cards or he pulls out some kind of string or something, and he does this trick. And what happens immediately? This person goes over here and says, you got to see this guy. And then now all of a sudden, within the next 10 or 15 minutes, the street magician has a huge crowd. Everything that he's doing, there is a way to understand. We may not understand it. I don't know how all these card tricks are done. I don't have a clue. But if I knew the secrets, I could do them. Are you with me? That's the same thing that the enemy was doing. Is literally he's, he's doing miracles. He's performing all these amazing things. And so the kings of the east are drawn to that. They're coming down. But if they only knew the truth, and the truth is, is that they're about to battle the Lord Jesus Christ, I don't believe they would come. Because we know how it all turns out. The purpose of these evil spirits we just talked about. After interjecting a special word of comfort to the tribulation believers, because here we go, chapter number 16 and verse number 15, he's talking to the believers. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. In other words, what Jesus is saying to them is blessed is he who stays true. Blessed is he who, who, who continues to follow my path. Blessed is he who does not... Uh, 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 fall into the temptation of the enemy. Blessed is he. And he says, I come as a thief. What is he doing? He is telling those that are believers in the tribulation that he is still coming. He's still coming for them. And he's going to take care of them. It appears since the, uh, uh, after rejecting a special word of comfort to the tribulation believers who are still on earth in verse 15, John returns to describing the events leading to the battle of Armageddon. It appears since the enemy knows the second coming of Christ is at hand, he will gather the military powers of the world uh, to resist him, speaking of Jesus or God. From a human viewpoint, it will appear these armies are gathering of their own accord, but it will be satanic powers that draw them together. 
they are assembled together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. The stage is now set for the battle of Armageddon to take place. But it will not take place until chapter number 19, verses 11 through 21, when Christ returns to earth with the armies of heaven. In chapter number 17 and chapter number 18, which we'll discuss next week, a parenthesis happens, which describes the fall of Babylon. And we'll talk about that next Wednesday night. Chapter 16, verse number 17. This takes us to the end of the chapter. And the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air, and there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, I love it. You ready? Here it is. It is... Huh. I feel like I've heard those words before. I think maybe in about a week and a half, you might hear those words on this stage right here. It is finished. I love it. It is completed. And here the Bible says the judgment is done. It's done. What I love about this is, yes, we have the parentheses of chapter 17 and chapter 18 with the fall of Babylon. And yes, we do have the battle of Armageddon coming. But Jesus is at the battle of Armageddon. The victor has arrived. And can I tell you something? When we hit chapter number 19 and we start taking off, it's nothing but shouting ground from there. We've gotten past all of the terribleness. We've gotten past all of the wrath. And now, what are we about to do? We're about to sit down at the marriage supper of the Lamb and see Jesus. We're about to win the victory. We're about to experience the new heaven and the new earth. We're about to experience everything that heaven has to offer. Because chapter number 16, verse number 17 says, It is done. And there were voices and thunders and lightnings and there was a great earthquake. Boy, those earthquakes always show up, don't they? <laughs> Such as was not since men were upon the earth, so mighty an earthquake and so great. And the great city was divided into three parts. That's how great this earthquake was. It split the world into three parts. That's pretty serious. Uh, and the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And great Babylon came in remembrance uh, from, uh, before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. And every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. Do you see that? Hawaii is gone. I mean, that's what it says. The islands fled away. And, and I don't know where Tennessee's at. Because the mountains are gone. You see it? And so, so the, the islands fled away and the mountains were not found. Look what it says. And there fell upon men a great hail out of the heaven. Every stone about the weight of a talent. And men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail. For the plague thereof was exceeding great. Number seven, the seventh fold. While the demonic spirits are gathering the armies of the world in preparation for Armageddon, there is yet another bowl of wrath to be poured on the earth. And when this happens, there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, It is done. This means the tree of judgments is complete and the time is ready for Christ to return to claim his inheritance. In the meantime, there was a great earthquake. Such as was not since men were upon the earth. So mighty an earthquake and so great. This will be the most devastating earthquake the world has ever known. It will be of such intensity the great city was divided into three parts. And the cities of the nations fell. Every island fled away and the mountains were not found. This could be the fulfillment of the prophecy found in Isaiah chapter number 40, verses 4 and 5. And I'm going to quickly read that to you. Isaiah chapter number 40, the Bible says this, verses 4 and 5. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed... <laughs> And all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth 
of the Lord hath spoken it. Isaiah the prophet literally prophesied of the great tribulation's last judgment. Wow. Can't tell me that the Bible doesn't know what's going to happen in the end. The, the, The prophets did not know as they were given. Listen, these men knew. That's why they preached so hard. The awesome scene of incredible horror continues as there fell upon men a great hail out of heaven. Every stone about the weight of a talent. Now, this hail is not necessarily the usual form of hail and ice. For the Greek word translated hail simply means to let loose or to let fall. It can apply to anything falling from the sky. So this reference may be to the falling rocks or boulders that were a result of the natural disasters that we talked about in verses 18 through 20. This may not be necessarily the hail that we talk about today. This could be from the great earthquake that took place. Whatever the hail is, each stone will weigh a talent or about a hundred pounds. A hundred pounds. So every unprotected living thing would be destroyed. This is a possible fulfillment of Ezekiel chapter number 38, verses 22 and verse 23. We don't have time to turn there, but you should look at that where it talks about literally the earth being desecrated by hail falling from heaven. The hardness of human hearts upon the earth at this time is revealed in Revelation chapter 16 and verse number 21. Even when the world literally crumbles before their eyes, the lost world simply hardens their hearts and curses God for sending his judgment. You say, Pastor, that was an exciting hour. <laughs> Listen, this is where we're at. We've hit a place in the book of Revelation that is not joyous to talk about, and it's not exciting in the fact that, I mean, terrible things and terrible judgments are happening, and and it can be somewhat discouraging and depressing almost as you go from one to another to another and hear the terrible things that are going to happen. Here, let me leave you on a high note instead of a low note. First of all, may I remind you that you do not have to endure this if you're saved, okay? You don't have to endure this if you're saved. You, you disappeared about Revelation chapter number four, all right? Uh, you're, you're, you're gone. So you don't have to endure this. Let me give you another word of encouragement. You should go tell someone or encourage someone to come and seek refuge in the Lord so that they do not have to endure the wrath of God. We look at different scenarios in our world and we think to ourselves, I've heard people say this all the time, and, 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 and I don't think we really understand what we're saying. You know, when 9-11 hit and New York went fell and all the terrible things that happened down there, we said, boy, that was the wrath of God. Remember people saying that? Or the tornadoes hit or the earthquakes hit or the tsunamis come and wipe off places or, 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 or terrible natural disasters happen. And what do we say? Boy, that must have been the wrath of God. I'm going to tell you something right now. Now you know what the wrath of God is. Now you know. The wrath of God is not, is not destroying a house. The wrath of God is destroying a world. Do you understand that? Natural disasters are going to happen. I think we try to correlate disaster with judgment from God. And I think that we do ourselves... Um, wrongly, and it's an injustice. Because you have to understand that, that in everything that God does, He does it with a plan. He does it with a purpose. We also have to understand that the enemy is within this whole mix as well. And we don't know what the enemy is trying to accomplish. We know the enemy cannot do anything without God's what? Approval. But it's all happening around us. And what do we need to do as a result of it? We need to say, listen, this is not the wrath of God taking place on a city or a country or a continent. We need to say, 
that this is God trying to help us to understand that the time is at hand. That we need to tell people about Jesus so that they really don't experience what the real wrath of God is. Because the real wrath of God is to come. It's certainly not what we're experiencing here on earth with a few impositions. So I caution you when you tell somebody that, they're, that, that, that it's because of a city or it's because of this or that that they're experiencing the wrath of God. No, 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 no. The wrath of God is what you just heard about. Certainly God will send judgment when judgment is needed. You look at Nineveh and you look at Sodom and Gomorrah. Certainly that happens. But you also have to understand that in all of those circumstances, that God always went in and he petitioned the people first. Are there any righteous? Can you find just one? Do you remember? Before he destroyed. May I remind you of that? May I remind you that before he destroyed the earth by a flood, he sent a preacher for a hundred plus years to preach. Do you remember that? He always petitioned. Can I tell you that for the last 2,000 years, he's been petitioning. The wrath of God is to come. It's not what we're experiencing in natural disasters today. Here's our job and our responsibility. is to go and invite and to share Jesus Christ with people. So that they do not ex have to experience the great tribulation. All right. Any questions? All right. Next week we'll talk about the fall of Babylon, and uh, then uh, after that we'll start getting into the Battle of Armageddon, and uh, we'll start talking about the Great White Throne Judgment. We'll talk about the Judgment Seat of Christ, and uh, we'll talk about the New Heaven and the New Earth, and uh, and all of those things. We'll we'll we'll, we'll take our we we'll take our detour from Earth to Heaven. And uh, begin to experience um, the wonderfulness of the things to come in the book of Revelation. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for allowing us to meet together. Lord, I pray that you will encourage us tonight, even though this lesson can somewhat be discouraging. But may it be encouraging to us, because the Bible says, Blessed is he that readeth, and he that studieth, and understandeth uh, these things. And so, God, I pray that it will motivate us to go and tell others about Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you. But most of all, we thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. Don't forget the Welcome Center. There's promotional material for our Easter program. And, uh, and sign up for, oh yeah, for breakfast is out there too, yeah. Uh, but invite somebody to come be with you. It's going to be a wonderful day. And uh, I hope that you're planning to be a part of it. Have a wonderful evening. God bless you.